Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. This week, it's my pleasure to bring to you a presentation from the LDM Book Volume 2 Tour, October 2020. Dr. Gary Thomas is a, a fellowship-trained, board-certified neurologist who has been caring for multiple sclerosis patients for more than 14 years. He's the director of the Penn State Comprehensive MS Center. He leads a team of three neurologists, a nurse practitioner, two MS nurse navigators, and a social worker that provides comprehensive care for more than 3,000 MS patients in the central Pennsylvania region. Dr. Thomas is on the board of directors of the local MS Society chapter and works with the chapter on educational and outreach projects. As part of his practice, Dr. Thomas uses a variety of traditional FDA-approved therapies as well as complementary off-label strategies. Uh, now, Trexan has been in use at the Penn State Center for more than 20 years. Penn State has pioneered much of the basic science research related to naltrexine and its uses. So again, we're going to, do you guys want to type questions into the Q&A or the chat? If you, uh, just for those of you who are familiar with Zoom, if you kind of scroll your mouse down to the bottom, there's a Q&A section that'll come up that you can type your questions into. But with that said, Dr. Thomas, I'm excited to turn the, the floor over to you and hear what you have to tell us. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, it was so nice to uh, get to see Linda. I've seen her book, I have a book Yay. as well. Um, although, I wish um, I'd have known about you when I was diagnosed. You would have been the man. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so here's the thing, let me, let, let, me, let me share my screen with you guys. Um, I just put together a couple slides, um, but really what I like is um, I like questions, you know. Um, my name is Gary Thomas, and I am a 14-year veteran to the MS world, and I, I don't treat some of the other conditions that people are using naltrexone for, so, but my experience is neurology and MS and all of the symptoms and neuropathic issues that come up with, with MS. And I, I, I wanna emphasize that this has really been a patient-driven treatment. I wish I could say that I was the one behind this, and I'm not, the patients are. I have no financial interest in naltrexone, no company that makes anything, no books, no presentations. We don't get paid for this. I do this for educational reasons, because I think it's good to have an experienced you know, board certified neurologist, doctor talking about the drug so you can hear how it's used, the good, the bad, and, and ask questions. I'm happy to answer questions. Um, I want to talk about clinical experience. I want to talk about basic, basic science experience. And I want to talk about research needs because there's a lot of research needs. And um, uh, there's a lot going on around the, around the world, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. Um, the first thing is, I would tell you, when I was a young neurologist right out of fellowship, and I came into the world of MS, um, patients were asking for this. So I learned about naltrexone as a, as a, a rescue drug for, for heroin addicts, and that was the only use I was ever taught in medical school. And when patients started asking about this, 
I had to start studying this and learning about it. I went to the most senior neurologist in the department and found out that they had been using naltrexone for years, found out that a lot of the research on naltrexone was actually done at Penn State um, uh, in the lab with the mice, Dr. Zagan and Dr. McLaughlin. Um, and why did they want it? Most of the patients took it to treat their MS. So they believed that their MS itself was under better control when they took it, right? And so um, the, the, the number of attacks a year they got or the number of MRI spots that showed up, they believed that there was less than when they were on naltrexone compared to before they went on. And when I asked the most experienced MS doctors, uh, they said, maybe, maybe. It's hard to tell. No one studied it really well, but it seems like they're doing well compared to the average MS patient. Um, and then a lot of patients were started on it to treat symptoms. So you heard about pain syndrome, neuropathic pain happens in MS, um, just like with Linda. Um, but, but there's all sorts of pain. There's, there's muscle ache pain, there's joint pain. And patients who take naltrexone tell us they have less pain. Patients with MS, it's very common to have fatigue as a symptom. Patients tell us their fatigue is better. The brain fog that Linda described, they say is less. And the, the, the tiredness or lack of energy or um, uh, lack of motivation is all better less when they're on the naltrexone. Um, and uh, the muscle spasticity specifically, which is common in MS, but is also common in stroke and other areas of neurology, and then mood as well is better with it. And uh, patients will, when their prescription's running out, they will call us. And if they run out of it, they will call us exacerbated. So we try to keep up with our prescriptions to support the patients. Um, the interesting thing about uh, naltrexone, when I first learned about it, was um, the patients pay for it themselves. So um, here in the US, we have a private healthcare system. And um, because of that, people pay for meds and sometimes meds are really expensive. In the MS world, we're very unique because the core MS drugs have a lot of financial support by the companies that make the drugs. So the, 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 the drugs for MS are very profitable and the companies are very generous to the patients. Most of our patients do not pay a penny for their MS drugs. These are really expensive drugs. But now Trexone is not FDA approved for MS. And none of the insurers will pay for it, save for one or two, and um, patients will pay for it. You know, and, and one time I was at a meeting with a very famous MS doctor, and we were showing a poster about some of the research we did in, in naltrexone. And he said he wasn't sure it was really real. He thought it was all placebo. And, and, I, and I said, you know, well, but do you, so does that mean you don't have anybody on it? And he said, no, no, I have 50, 60 people on it. At Penn State, we have 200 to 250 people on it. I would have to go and count up but we have much more. But he said 50, 60 people. I said, well, so why would you put people on it if you don't think it works? And he said, because they love it. All the patients who are on it love it. And I said, well, are they paying for it? And he said, they're all paying for it. He said, they complain about co-pays for other drugs, but they just want to pay for it. They want it. So, so it's a really interesting, fascinating um, uh, story that was really been patient-driven. Um, you almost can't get patients to stop it. Um, how do we use it at Hershey? 
Um, we, we do not routinely offer it, but we offer it when somebody is struggling with traditional medications and um, we offer it as a supplement to traditional medications. Um, we use it exclusively at three milligrams per day. We have tried it at five and four and a half milligrams and four. And for some different indications, there may be different doses that make sense. We found that the patients who get down to three milligrams a day use it and do the best with it and like it the best. So we don't actually do every single patient I think we have is three milligrams a day right now. Um, if you take this medication at bedtime, you get vivid dreams. So actually, I recommend patients take it in the morning. As I studied the mechanisms of how we think it works, it doesn't look like it matters. You could take it at bedtime. You could take it with or without food. You could take it first thing in the morning. There's no reason why it should matter. But if you take it just before bedtime, you'll get vivid dreams. And uh, Sometimes those are good. Sometimes dreams aren't as good. Um, uh, the, the, the naltrexone, for that short period of time, it's in your system. Narcotics won't work. So if a patient's on narcotics, um, we'll be blocking them. Uh, so it, naltrexone is not addictive. It's very safe. Um, but you, you really almost can't use it in, in conjunction with narcotics effectively. Um, we give it in addition to the standard of care. Like I said, we have about 250 patients on it. We have a, a group of about 3,000 patients. I think if we could get the clinical trial to prove that it's, it changes MF disease course, I think we would be offering it to all 3,000 patients. And um, I've never turned a patient down, an MS patient who wants to try it. And I think 99.9% .9 of the time if they try it, they want to stay on it. So um, if you ask me about naltrexone in general, I would tell you it was originally approved to treat uh, narcotic addiction, but we've expanded that now to, to use it for other types of addiction, alcohol addiction, marijuana addiction, cigarette addiction. They uh, have it as a component of a diet drug, Contrave. Um, so it has a lot of different uses. Um, it's popular in, in central PA in many of the conditions that uh, uh, cause pain and discomfort, and um, it's being looked at in cancers. So um, it's commonly prescribed for fatigue, and um, it, it, it's, I put here about $45 a month, but varies depending on where you get it from. Um, the thing that you have to know is it works on receptors, special receptors that are seen in most cells of your body. But in white cells, in your immune cells, they affect cell turnover. So this metencephalon system looks a little bit like the opioid system, looks a little bit like the endorphin system, the exercise and we build up our endorphins. And all of these, all of these um, bioactive components are affected by naltrexone. And the, the metencephalon system that Dr. Zagan and McLaughlin and Hershey, Penn State um, College of Medicine at Hershey have studied, have really looked at how this system can affect cell turnover. And inflammation requires cell turnover. Cancers require cell turnover. And so if you can affect cell turnover, you can calm it down, you can calm down inflammation, you can calm down cancer. And that's sort of at, at the highest level, sort of what they think is going on with this. There may be other cases where you want to speed up cell turnover. If you have a wound that you're trying to heal, they've looked at corneal abrasions and things like that, that maybe you want to use naltrexone in a much higher dose to try to uh, uh, impact those. 
So um, as I said, Penn State's done a lot of the basic science research, not recently, I mean, recently, but not just recently, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, we've been doing research on this compound. It's a really interesting compound. I, I sort of think um, pharmaceutical companies are so driven by profit, you have a product here, a, a molecule that really isn't easily patentable. It's really easy to copy. It's really inexpensive to manufacture. It's really safe. And so it's not an attractive molecule to study if you're a pharmaceutical company trying to make money. Um, but uh, Zagan and McLaughlin taught me uh, so much about this all, and gave me all the papers to read about it so that I could really learn what it is I'm prescribing so I could feel comfortable prescribing it when patients requested it. And they've really done interesting work on the mouse model. You know, we have a mouse that gets an MS-like condition and over time gets disability. One leg doesn't work and two legs don't work and three legs don't work and four legs and it, the tail doesn't work. And they've shown that when you give the mice naltrexone compared to giving the mice placebo, so we even do placebo trials with mice, the mice that get the real drug, they do much better. They, have their, they function better, their legs work better, um, fewer of them get disability, and the ones that get disability get much less disability. So in the mouse, it looks like a really strong argument that it would affect the MS disease process. And um, they've done a lot of research on the cellular level, and they've done a lot of research looking at the, 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 the mouse hormones that are affected by the system, um, the mouse um, uh, inflammatory markers, um, to really understand sort of how it, it works. And we're really on the cusp of, of getting this into more clinical trials, more clinical trials than we have. Um, we, in our clinic, we do um, collect uh, blood samples from every patient who is willing, strictly voluntary. And we do have the ability to decode the genome. And we do have the ability to look at inflammatory markers. So as we collect data on our patients, we can see are the naltrexone patients having less inflammatory markers than the non-naltrexone patients. And we can see them when they first get diagnosed before we put them on treatment, what their inflammatory markers look like, and we can put them on a treatment, and some of them will ask for naltrexone and some won't, and we can see who has more inflammatory markers. And I would tell you, this is pretty new for us, collecting blood samples, and it's been interrupted a little bit by COVID. Um, during the COVID crisis, we've done about 95% telehealth, so patients aren't coming into our clinic. So it's harder to get blood samples from them. And, and we don't want to, uh, we didn't want to endanger patients to ask them to come in just to give us blood. So as we reopen our clinic to live patients, we're going to be collecting more and more blood. If you happen to live in central PA area and you want to be part of our clinic, you want to get samples, be in trials, or uh, do a trial of naltrexone, please let us know. We are open to seeing new patients. So. Um, we're, we're a large center and we're growing. Um, we have participated in many of the um, FDA-approved MS trials. So some of the drugs that are being used by MS patients, I won't name them, by multiple manufacturers, um, we participated in the trials. I had one trial where we enrolled you know, 75 patients for an IV infusion drug. We had another trial for uh, two different oral drugs that, that are One's approved and one is not approved, not yet. Um, and, the, and we enrolled you know, a handful, maybe six or seven patients in each of those trials. 
So we do trials. We just need to get on uh, maybe more naltrexone trials. Um, uh, inflammation uh, can be seen in a lot of different conditions. Some of the ones that Linda talked about, MS, autoimmune disease, diabetes, but even aging and, the, and, and, and Alzheimer's dementia, there's an inflammatory component. And so if we can figure out a role for naltrexone for any of those things, you know, we could expand the use, um, but it's gonna take more research and work. Um, it looks like if you give naltrexone in low dose, it causes an increase in new receptors, new protein receptors in white cells that causes a reduction in inflammation, a reduction in cell turnover. And if you give it in high dose, it causes an increase in uh, inflammation. So I tell my patients, if you try it once a day and you love it, more is not better. You don't take it three times a day. You still only take it once a day. The mechanism requires that it's in your system for a couple hours, maybe as many as four hours, but 20 hours a day, it's not in your system and your body is behaving differently because it was there for four hours. So um, I've had patients who tried it, loved it, then went to three times a day. Well, three times a day, you're gonna have the exact reverse of what you want. So we, we're really careful about giving our patients um, explanation of how to use this stuff. Um, uncontrolled inflammation can cause damage. Controlled inflammation is how we fight infection. Uncontrolled inflammation causes damage. So if you take this, 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 this uh, current COVID crisis, it's a viral infection that can cause damage to our lungs. And sometimes the uncontrolled inflammation in our lungs is actually what kills our patients. And so you'll see on the news, a lot of the trials are about how can we allow our body to fight the infection, but not cause too much inflammation. And in fact, some people are looking at naltrexone in the face of COVID. I, I don't know the current research on that, but looking at it because just like with MS, we're trying to calm inflammation, allow enough inflammation you can fight infections, but not so much that you cause damage to the myelin in your brain or to the brain itself. Um, ultimately, what I would love to see, my dream would be for us to do a prospective, that means we plan ahead, randomized, means we we, we have a random selection of who gets drug and who gets placebo, and we don't know who it is and the patient doesn't know, and we follow them for two or three years and we see who does better. If you could prove naltrexone worked to suppress MS in prospective double-blind placebo-controlled trial, you would have every patient in the world on it because it's such a safe drug and such an easy drug to get and such an easy drug to manufacture. Um, I think you would have everybody on it. And if we could understand this, this um, Pat McLaughlin, Dr. McLaughlin calls it the OGF system, opioid growth factor system, we might be able to use this as a biomarker to predict who's going to do better, or who's not going to do better, or to monitor how well they're doing with any of their treatments, not just the LDN, but other treatments. So some of the research is how LDN works, and then how the biological system works, and then how we can use that to our advantage to help patients out better. So, and, and then if, if, if we can show how it works and what it does, we look for other molecules similar to naltrexone that can provide similar benefits. And when we're evaluating new molecules, we can look for ones that have areas of the molecule that are similar and uh, figure it out. And that's really all I wanted to present today. And I wanted to be available for questions. If anyone had questions about how it's used, or um, uh, how it's not used and what our experience is with it, I'm happy to, happy to talk with you guys about it.
yeah, all, all kinds of questions rolling in here. Um, Are they? Uh, good. So that, that's good. So you definitely have stimulated some uh, some some good questions. Great, great thoughts there and presentation. Um, so uh, what Linda, before she cut out, said she definitely wants to partner with you to, to do some research studies, uh, and she would love to have you on her radio show. She does do a regular radio show about LDN. So just uh, just FYI on that. But um, so do love to participate. To make sure I understood on this, so do you use LDN along with the traditional MS drugs, or do you do you do LDN alone? Yeah, so um, uh, almost all of our patients are also on traditional FDA-approved medications. Um, there are a few patients who don't want traditional FDA medications, and so we allow them to be on naltrexone alone. The patient decides what they want. I'm the consultant in that sense. They it's their it's their uh, life. And, and actually, the patients who are just on LDN are doing very well, but most of them are also under treatment. Um, in the old days, when I first started, when Linda was first diagnosed, there weren't that many treatments. So when you only had like two different mechanisms, if they didn't work, sometimes we put them on LDN as a third mechanism. And if those patients were stable, they just never tried any new drug. They just stayed on what they were on. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm starting my video here. Um, so you, know, you had this question too, as you were talking. So do you titrate the dose up for your patients or you start them right at three milligrams and that's, that's where they remain? Yeah, that's a great question. No, we start right at three, three milligrams. We don't titrate them at all. I, I will say that for about three or four years, we tried different doses on patients to sort of get an idea of what was working and what wasn't. And it always seemed to come back to three milligrams. And it didn't seem to matter if they were a 250-pound man or an 85-pound teenager. Um, the three milligrams seemed to work the best. So it may not be the best dose for everybody, but that was our experience. So that's what we've been doing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've kind of seen just here in my little selections that kind of four and a half works well. But I mean, personally, I take it, but I stick to three and a half milligrams, and I've messed around with my dosing a little bit. And uh, but. Uh, yeah, and it does seem like a titrating up does seem to help with some of those uh, side effects. Um, but vivid dreams, do you see some, do you see GI side effects? We have not had people complain of GI side effects, but three, three milligrams is pretty low. Um, you know, you worry opioids cause um, nausea and um, constipation, but we've never had anyone come back with LDN and complain of that to us. So I, I don't think it's an issue, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And you, and you stick with once a day dosing. One of the other questions is, do you find BID dosing works best for LDN patients? Um, we stick with once a day dosing. And if, if, if we look at the research that, that McLaughlin and Zagan did, um, you really want it only in your system for about four, between three and five hours a day, about four hours a day. Right, it's that your, your body blocking different. the opioid receptor that, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. so. Now, I think I've seen where sometimes BID dosing for depression or anxiety seems, mm -hmm. seems to work better. Um, but I would agree with you once you go beyond that, to three, three times a day certainly is not, more is not better in this case. It, it's so interesting to me because I, I do think that MS patients feel, some MS patients feel like they have less depression, more energy, less anxiety with naltrexone. And so sometimes I wonder, you know, is it in, in, a, in a different condition if somebody didn't have MS, but they had depression or anxiety, maybe you should be playing around with the dose a little bit more to figure out 
you know, what dose makes the most sense. It, it, it might be a different mechanism. It might be a cross-reactivity with the endorphin receptor. We know if people exercise their depression's less, so we might be giving them exercise in the pill kind of that way. But I, I, we haven't studied it well enough to know. I haven't studied it. Anyway. Yeah, it seems like what's going on from, from what I've seen. That they, you know, I like that exercise in the pill. Now, are, are, you, <laughs> are you using uh, capsules? What, what dosage form are you using typically? Um, so we send, them to, we send them to compounding pharmacies. And I thought that they were mostly making tablets. But actually, I don't ask the patients to bring it in. And I don't know what percent or what different forms. The, the the pharmacies that are compounding pharmacies have to take, you know, standard um, quantities and make it into, th you know, three milligrams or four and a half milligrams. What are you guys doing? I, I think we, I feel like we've sent some patients even to your pharmacy. Yeah. I and so I don't. Yeah, we, we typically do capsules. I do know a lot of my colleagues use tablets as well. And uh, for folks that uh, have the GI side effects. So for some reason, a tablet might be better, but a liquid definitely works better. And there's the the GI side effects. What I do mm -hmm. see is the side effects go away after after mm -hmm. some time as well. So um, uh, yeah. So um, yeah. But uh, yeah. Let me look at my other questions here. Um, right, so you are taking more patients then too? Yeah, we're seeing more patients. Okay. We're, we're we have three doctors and the nurse practitioner. Um, we're pretty busy, but we're we're hiring do doctors and we're also seeing new patients. So, and and we're happy to follow along with a local neurologist if if somebody lives three hours away, they, they can come to us if they have MS. We see them once a year, or whatever. We'll give them LDN if their neurologist isn't comfortable with it, and um, we'll help manage them. You know, good. There's such a short neurologist that we're all sort of friendly in Central PA. Oh, yeah, that, that's good to know. Um, okay, <laughs> questions. So the the new patients for the trials that's for that's for MS patients. So I'm always asking for clarification: the MS versus neurological patients. Yeah. So so right now we were only collecting um, blood samples and looking at naltrexone in MS. However, um, we do need uh, matched normals, so age matched normals for comparison. And so sometimes if a patient comes in with with migraine or or seizure or you know, something completely unrelated. Sometimes we'll ask them for some blood just to keep them in the trial, but we, we're not putting them on naltrexone. Okay. Um, so you personally only see MS patients? Um, neuroimmunologic conditions. So we see uh, MS, uh, neuromyelitis optica, um, neurosarcoidosis. Um, we'll see some um, perineoplastic condition patients, but, but um, Except like if I'm in resident clinic or something, I don't just see like, you know, normal epilepsy patients or stroke patients or things like that. So. Okay. Yeah. I apologize. My ba uh, my laptop battery was running low. That's why I was moving around. <clears throat> I didn't want to end the presentation early for everybody because my laptop battery died. So my apologies on that. Uh, are there any rheumatologists in Hershey who use LDN? I actually don't know. I, I've never... We share a lot of patients with rheumatology and some of them are on LDN and they've never commented or complained, but I've never talked to a rheumatologist at Hershey who talked about it. And, and then maybe I just haven't explored it. So I'm not sure if there is or isn't. Okay. Um, there's a shortage of rheumatologists too. So it's hard to get an appointment. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, I know our rheumatologists here <laughs> are very busy and I don't, they, 
I don't think have anybody on LDN as of yet. So um, as far as preventing uh, headaches with LDN use, um, my experience in, with headaches or the side effects, again, typically it goes away. Um, mm -hmm. And if you, if you do taper it up, that tends to minimize the side effects. So. <clears throat> yeah. So how about Parkinson's and neuropathies? Yes, you know, um, uh, somebody, Steve's asked about Parkinson's and neuropathies. Pa Parkinson's is usually not associated with discomfort. It, um, it, there's tremor, but not discomfort per se. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if the mechanism for Parkinson's, if it would work. Um, patients with neuropathies have tried it. You can get painful neuropathy from diabetes. You can get um, neuropathic pain from shingles. You can get um, uh, uh, like B12 deficiency neuropathy or alcohol induced neuropathies. And people have tried it for things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen Amber's sent out some questions and Steve and appreciate everybody that's given us some questions. Um, yeah, I definitely have some folks I want to send your way um, that, uh, to, to work with. Um, yeah, you again, you've verified that very much so that the LDN at the very least does no harm. I mean, it's very, very safe. I'm sorry, say that again. It didn't come through. It's a very safe molecule. It's very safe okay. and it's very low dose. It, it, uh, there's no toxicity or issues or anything like that. Um, almost every MS drug we give that's approved by the FDA, we have to monitor labs, liver, kidney, lights. We don't have to monitor anything for, for naltrexone, for low dose naltrexone. There's nothing you have to monitor. Okay, great. Um, Amber says, how long does it take to get relief before determining if the treatment is not right for certain patients? Um, I, I tell patients to try it at least one month. Um, it's, it's not, it's definitely not a, um, if you try it for two days and it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's not like that. There, mm -hmm. There's something about the way it changes the receptors in your body and the way you behave, your body behaves, the white cells behave, calms inflammation, allows your body to catch up on making repairs, you got to at least try it a month before you would decide, oh, I'm not sure if it's working or not. Yeah. Oh. Now, I, I tend to tell people to even give it a little bit longer, three to six months. Uh, I don't. I think at, uh, Linda in her presentation said she was on, uh, didn't give up until, uh, well, saw the positive, much more positive effects 18 months in. I think I would mm -hmm. not, I'm not sure I would have been that patient. Um, <laughs> but that, but yeah, I'm pretty sure she said 18 months. So a question here on the Q&A, doesn't give me the name, but it says, what are, what are the side effects? Uh, tell me what side effects you see with your patients, Dr. Thomas. Um, the only two side effects that I've ever really had reported, bad side effects, good side effects is more energy, of course, but is um, vivid dreams or difficulty falling asleep if you take it before bedtime. And if somebody was on a narcotic or even like, like if somebody, sometimes people have migraine and nothing works and the, some doctor gives them a couple Percocets and only like, you know, they only use it like three times in the whole year. And that's okay. Cause they probably won't get addicted if they're only using it three times in the whole year. Um, but, but they don't realize it. And the, the day they get their headache, if they pop a Percocet, the naltrexone will make it not work. So the two the side effects that I hear about are 
my narcotics don't work or uh, sleep things. Okay. Yeah. And the other things that I've seen are uh, some GI side effects initially, but that's very few patients uh, that have had that on. And when we've switched them to liquid, that, that that's not been an issue at all. The GI side effects that you're seeing, are they like like diarrhea or constipation or upset stomach? What are they? What are they? The diarrhea, up, a little bit upset stomach. Yes, yeah, is typically mm -hmm. what I see. So um, trying to remember exactly how that's going on, but yeah, that's that's typically that's what I've seen with the GI. Mm -hmm. So um, I I don't think we've ever stopped ever stopped the patient because of GI side effects. It's never stopped because of that. Okay. So that's good well that that's 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 really good and again that i've definitely the vivid dreams i've experienced that myself and again i mean i tend to take my doses at lunchtime um mm -hmm. just when i remember but then that's what i encourage people to do is just move it up to either either dinner time or or breakfast and that, that seems that seems to really help as well um I, how do how do patients get a hold of you, or how would they make an appointment? Do they need a referral, or can they call the clinic directly? Yeah, they they, they do need a, a primary care doctor referral. Um, they can call the Penn State Neurology Clinic. Um, uh, uh, I would, didn't mean for this to be an advertisement, but five three seven one seven area code seven one seven five three one two eight three eight would get you to the main neurology clinic. Um, and um, sometimes if you call just for an appointment, they tell you like, oh, the next appointment is like three years from now because, you know, everyone's so busy. Right. But if you ask to speak to the MS nurse, our MS nurse, Sonia, she's been doing MS with me for 13 of the 14 years. She came a year after me and she can sneak you in to the schedule in a very timely fashion, whereas the schedulers have to follow you know, very rigid rules and they have to tell you, well, the first available slot isn't until June 15th, 2021. And you're like, yeah, like, Gee, thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, well, our nurse or the MS nurse can get you in. So, and, and she would, she would send me a message and say, Hey, somebody who saw one of your talks wants to come. And I'd be like, I'll add them, you know, next week or whenever we can. And we would do that. Yeah. Um, so two points, uh, one of my pharmacy colleagues, Steve, said they've made sublingual solution to, to, to avoid the gut. That's helped with the loose stools. Um, they're asking who's prescribing the LDN for me. Um, I, I, I actually see uh, Dr. Marion Herpel in Greencastle. So we, and we have other doctors too, as for, for our patients that we can refer to. And ones that we've certainly have more prescribers who are open to it after we've been really talking and working with LDN a lot over the past two years. And so we, uh, as you've seen some positive effects with the LDN and as docs see some positive effects, they're more open to prescribing it for other patients then. So, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I know I asked you that personally because I have somebody specifically, I'm gonna probably have call you and set up an appointment with you. That's so fine. I appreciate that to ask for Sonia and that they'll uh, fit, that, fit them in. So that, that's awesome. So I'm not seeing any other questions. Do you, uh, do you have any other comments before we kind of transition to the last, last little section? No, I would just tell you, you know, I, I wrestled with whether I should show the science curve, the science graphs of the, the science is pretty strong. It's just, we need to get the clinical proof. You'll never get the FDA to approve it unless you show 
prospective double-blind placebo control what it does. And it doesn't have to cure MS. Nothing is going to cure MS. But if, if you can show that it, it slows it down, it makes it better, it makes some symptoms better, you know, it would be amazing. It would be amazing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dr. Thomas. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll take it from here. So, and thank you so much for your time. I really, really enjoyed your presentation. So, My any questions or comments you may have, please email me, Linda, L I N D A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.